Well, let's open up to Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four, verses 12 through what did we get to 17? You know, as I, I'm going to start to make excuses of why I'm slowing down. Uh, It's because we're hitting major themes. This is, these aren't light themes. And so it's really important as a church when we come to, you know, temptation. Okay. Well, that's, that's a major theme. Well, what about repentance? That's a major thing. And so we've kind of got to slow down because he's building a case. Matthew's building a case for all the teaching that's coming here. And so we're going to, we're going to be in verses 12 through 17 this morning of Matthew four. Let's just go ahead and read through it for a second. I'll read through it with you. It says, now when he heard that John had been arrested, John the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to be able to comprehend what is being proclaimed here in your word. Have be merciful to us, God, hard of hearing, slow to understand all these things that we are. And so open, open my heart, open our hearts to your word, to your light in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you've been with us the past few weeks, uh, you know that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan, right? And he was led by, and right after that, he was led by the spirit into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights for temptation. We went through that up to verse 11, but sometime after this verse 12 tells us that John the Baptist was arrested. Now, when we get to chapter 14 of Matthew sometime in 2028, uh, we will, that's all scheduled out. Uh, Matthew tells us the reason why Herod, the Tetrarch arrests John. It's because Herod took his brother's wife as his own. Her name was Herodias. So, you know, if his name's Herod and her name's Herodias, you've got issues. There's just, it's, it's weird. So uh, John is, is actually preaching and he's calling the nation to repent. And, and that calls for the leaders as well. And so what he was doing was unlawful. Herodias didn't like it. He didn't like it. So they arrested John. So let's stop the messenger. And so John was arrested and we'll cover that more when we get to, to Matthew 14. Uh, and so Jesus hears that John is arrested and what is coinciding with John arrest is Jesus comes from the Southern area of Judea and comes up and he comes up into Nazareth and he starts preaching in the synagogue at his hometown, Luke tells us. And as he's preaching in his hometown, he opens the scriptures and starts talking about how, what Isaiah said is being fulfilled. And they didn't like that too much. And so then they try to push him off a cliff basically. And uh, so it's at that time that his own, his own city grew up and tries to push him off a cliff and that John gets arrested, that Jesus leaves that region and goes to uh, what we see as the region of Galilee. Now, how many of you are not familiar with, with geography of Israel whatsoever? <clears throat> okay. So this is for the five of you. Um, basically Israel's about 290 miles from top to bottom at the, at the furthest point, And it's about uh, 85 miles at the widest point, probably in the South. At its skinniest point, it can be 40 miles. So, but the Mediterranean Sea is on, on the West Coast, right? It's on the West Coast. It's, it borders the whole region. And then on the east side of the country, the Jordan River runs all the way from the north to the south. And so that's kind of how, how Israel sandwiched there. And uh, the Jordan River starts in the north in the eastern part of the, of the country there. And as it goes down, it, it empties into the Sea of Galilee, which is basically a giant lake. And then it goes out of the Sea of Galilee, continues in that eastern section, goes all the way down until it dumps into the Dead Sea, where it's, where it's done. It's dead. And so uh, if you're, if you're, if you're looking at a Bible map in the back of your Bible, if you have one of those that you can see all this, but 
If you're looking at the region of Israel, it was divided into three major sections. Now, Bible nerds are going to go, well, you missed Edomia and you missed. Yes, I know. The three major sections, the south, which would be called Judea, which is a lot of wilderness and it's harsh territory that would have Jerusalem as its capital there. You'd have Bethlehem five miles away from that and Bethany and all these other places uh, are going to be in the south. Well, then as you kind of move into the middle section of the country, we've got some place called Samaria. And this was a result of uh, basically a lot of Jewish history where uh, the Jews intermarried with the Gentiles and they have the section called the Samaria in the middle. And we'll read about that as we go, as we go forward as well. But in the Northern section is, is called Galilee. This is This is a greener area. I've been there before. It's, it's very beautiful. Um, and this is where the sea of Galilee is. And, and the sea of Galilee, as you're looking at Israel, if you're looking at like the top of Israel, um, it's going to be in the top right hand side. The sea of Galilee will be there. And Nazareth is in the middle of the Northern part. And so Nazareth is kind of in the middle and then Galilee, you kind of go up and go over to the region of Galilee. And Galilee basically was this, it's this area that's 60 miles tall by 30 miles wide. So basically from here to Tri-Cities and distance, is it about, is it about 60 miles from here to Tri-Cities somewhere, something like that? And so half that distance wide would be the width and the north. So that's the region that Jesus is ministering. You can imagine there's a big old lake in the middle of that area and they call it the lake. They call it Gennesaret. They call it Lake Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And so that's what that is. And, and again, the region of Galilee has that sea in it. And this is where Jesus is going to spend most of his ministry ministering around that region of Galilee. And there's 10 cities in there and it's called the Decropolis because there are 10 kind of cities in that region. And you're going to see Jesus moving uh, in and around that area. And among them is a city called Capernaum. And I believe this is Peter's home. I think when I was there, Back in 2000, something or other one, I think they said it means the, it was the home of Nahum, the prophet. It means something else. I forgot already what it means, but it's where Nathan the prophet came from, I think. And this is where Jesus was. So it was on the northeast side or northwest side of the lake um, is, is what you could see. And, and it says there in verse 12 that Jesus left Nazareth, his hometown, which is in the middle part of the Southern section. And he walked or he went all the way up 30 miles away to Capernaum. According to Google maps, you can take route 65 and walk there in about 8.5 hours. But most likely back then it was not 8.5 hours on a paved road or a trail. It was a few days walk, right? But we know from Luke four that Jesus had been in, in, in the South and then he comes home and then he gets kicked out of Nazareth basically. And so he sets up shop in this area of Galilee and it's a beautiful area. This is where the sermon on the Mount's going to be in chapter five. You know, the, the, and if you, if you're, if you're actually there, um, the region of Israel reminds me a lot of Tri-Cities and Walla Walla area. A lot of rocks, a lot of things like that. Uh, hills kind of jetting up. Um, you know, you have rivers in there. And uh, it's it's a very beautiful wilderness uh, area. But the Sea of Galilee is something special as you're there. Um, when I was there in 2001, the, the, the water level had dropped. And they were finding ancient boats and all this kind of stuff. Um but there's this uh, beautiful green hill that moves up on one side, which is where they, he would have preached from and done the Sermon on the Mount. And then there's these hills on the side uh, of it where they're just jagged cliffs that shoot up over by Tiberias in the south. And, and you're going, wow, those are beautiful. And the tour guide tells you, yeah, that's where all the Jews jumped to their death because they didn't want to be here going, what in the world? There's a lot of history going on in this place. And in the northern part and in the east and the north uh, eastern part, there's a there's a section that's more arid and it's called the Golan Heights. And you basically it's a it's a more of a Gentile area. And you'll have uh, this is where you'll have the pig farmers and the guy, the demoniac running around and all this type of stuff. And so this is going to be a, a hotbed of, of of an area where Jesus is going to be ministering among Gentiles, among Jews in a Gentile land. And so there's a lot that we have here. 
So verses in 12 and 13 tell us that he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali being two uh, tribes of Israel that inherited that section of land. And Matthew lets us know that this Jesus moving into this area is a specific answer to prophecy. Isaiah prophesies about this 700 700 years early, 7 to 750 years earlier. He says that the Messiah is actually going to show up in this area. And this is exactly what happens. Verse 14 says that Jesus went to Galilee. So that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. In verse 15, he, uh, Matthew quotes from Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. And so this region of Galilee uh, is also called Galilee of the Gentiles. Again, although the Jews did possess it, there were a lot of, uh, you know, religious Jews in the area. There were a lot of Gentiles in the surrounding areas there. So you can imagine the clash of the cultures that were going on there and the influence and all these things that were going on. But as uh, this region is also uh, not only referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles by Isaiah, but also being a place where people dwelled in darkness. They lived in darkness. Now it's a very beautiful place, but they were living in darkness. And this is speaking of spiritual darkness. And this is one of the great images that God's spirit uses in scripture to convey the difference between his kingdom and, and our reality, his kingdom and our kingdom, darkness and light. I'll give you an example of this. Apostle John says in, uh, says of God in first John one, five through seven, he says, this is the message we have heard. Remember, we're going to see next week, John, Jesus plucked John out of, you know, out of the fishing industry and make him a disciple. Okay. And here's this average everyday fisherman on the sea of Galilee. And here's John as an old man writing about his experience with Jesus is this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. This is just John talking about his experience, about what Jesus taught him about the father, all these things that God is light. And man, we can't live hypocritical lives. If we say we're following after him and anyways, I'm not going to reteach all that right now, but God is light. He's truth. He's life. He's light. And this is the imagery that, that John would use quite often. And he's drawing from Isaiah here and other places. And mankind on the other end is bound in darkness. We're not in light. We're not enlightened. We are bound in lies. We're walking in spiritual darkness, bound in sin, following the flesh, captives of the enemy, captives of the devil, and this is what the people of Galilee were living in. They were living in oppressive darkness, not only in themselves, but in societal darkness. And not only that, it was manifested in various ways in people through the diseases and everything that was going on. There was just the ramification of a sin filled world all the way around them. Sound familiar? This is what the people in Galilee were living in the spiritual darkness and what Isaiah prophesied 700 years earlier. And Matthew is quoting here in verse 16 is that a great light would come into the region. A light would dawn in that region. How many of you have had a, a pitch black night and have seen the sunrise start to break and that light gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And all of a sudden, all the things you couldn't make out before become very clear and distinct and the sounds come alive. This is what it is like with Jesus Christ, the son of God, the light of the world coming into spiritual darkness and contact with us. Our frame of reference is we're all walking in darkness. We don't have a reference for light unless the light comes and shines. And he began to shine into our world 
what was going on. And Isaiah says, this is happening. Verse 16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. A light to the Jews, a light to the Gentiles who are living in darkness, living in the shadow of death, a light would dawn. And this light obviously is referring to Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the son of God, the eternal son of God, God in the flesh, light manifested, life manifested, truth manifested, the creator manifested in human flesh. And again, the apostle John speaks of Jesus as light. And we know this because you just check out John chapter one, follow along with me in your Bible, flip over to John chapter one for a second. The first what nine verses opening of his gospel. It's interesting. This imagery. Remember in Genesis chapter one, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. Very interesting. Okay. This imagery of light comes on the scene, total darkness, then light shines when he speaks. Now here he is. It says now John's mimicking that, but he says in the beginning was the word John one, one and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, not anything else was made that was made. And so you've got God and you've got the word and the word was with God. Yet the word was God got the Trinity going on here. God is distinct persons and yet they are one above my pay grade. Apparently, but yet, nevertheless, this is how God reveals himself. He was in the beginning with God and everything was made through him without him. Nothing was made that was made. And so he's the creator. The word is the creator and in him, in the word who we know is Jesus in him was life. In him was life. It's not outside of him. He is life. Isn't that wild? Where does life come from? Him. He is life, spiritual life, physical life. He is the author of all life. It, 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 he is life. It says in him was life and the life was the light of men. So this imagery of light being life, light, like life. And it's just this, this life comes into death. This life comes into our darkness where we are experiencing the darkness and death and the effects of sin, life comes into it. That's the imagery here. And the light verse five shines in the darkness and the darkness is not overcome it. Some of you say he's not comprehended it. And there was a man verse six sent from God, whose name was John, John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. It's like John talks like Yoda a little bit. I know, understand he does this a little bit, but, but he's just speaking this imagery. Listen, there's a guy talking about the light that was going to come. And his name was John, John the Baptist. He's declaring, Hey, everybody get ready. The light is coming. The light is coming. The light is coming. That all might believe through him. And he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. He was shining so brightly about the light that people thought that he was the light. And he had to clarify for people. No, I'm not the light. What? Well, who is the light? Well, verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So Jesus Christ, we learn in verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us is the light of the world, spiritual life. So Jesus Christ is the light that dawned the light of God, his truth, piercing the lie, his eternal life brought life to the spiritual dead. And what he did and, 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 and real quickly, like, so you have this imagery of, of, of a light that is unknown to us coming into our world and shining in our darkness. What is the message that this light would have to say? You know, we are, we're also, we're also kind of like freaked out about aliens lately. You know, it's like, oh, we've unleashed all these things about aliens and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, they're out there. And it's like, well, what would they say if they came and all this kind of stuff? You know, we get into all these, these things it's like, listen, we've had someone come from a different world, <laughs> a different dimension. He's manifested himself. He's come here. He's shown that he is among us. And yet he's obviously more powerful and different. And all these, he has power over things we don't have. He's there. And yet we deny that. It's just, it's pretty fun. But he came into the darkness. And what does he say? What does he say to us? What is the message? What is the message? 
that he would want to say to us light coming into darkness. Verse 17 from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent because there is a kingdom that just entered your kingdom. There is a kingdom from heaven that has now just come down to earth. There's a different government that's being established here. There's a different rule, a different reign, a different way. And it is contrary to what's going on. And the king commands that all repent. That's crazy. The message of the king of light had for those in Galilee and has for us today. That every person be born and living that's born and living in darkness is the call to repentance. Now that's a weird word. How many of you go? Oh, yeah. Repentance. That's a top five word I use every day. Yeah. It's like a king, king, old Kings English type of a thing. But what does it mean? What does repent mean? The word repent carries with it the idea of a change of mind followed by a change of action. That's the idea. Your, your, your mind has been changed. And so you change accordingly. How many of you have had a, had a wake up call with your doctor and they were able to convince you about something in your life that you needed to change. And because you believed that information about what they said to be true and they showed you the evidence and here it is and here's your numbers and whatever it is. Now, therefore, you are doing things differently because you believe what they say and your life is now reflecting. Any of you had that experience? How many of you need to have that experience? I know this is don't worry. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching. But. That's what the idea is, is that the light came into the darkness and exposed what was going on and said, repent, change what you think, agree with what I say about where you are and let your life actually reflect that. That's kind of what repentance is. And God is at work in all that, by the way. But Christ came as a light exposing the darkness of men. Think about this. This is, this is difficult. This is why this kind of, Preaching of the word is, is not enjoyed in popular church culture. Anyone else repent? That's the message here. Jesus comes on the scene. What's the first thing he says? Oh, just stay the way you are. I love you. I died for you. So you can continue on in your universe. And I, and I'm all about you. Now his word, his word is repent. Wow. And so people are like, ah, I got to go now. Don't want to hear that. No one wants to hear that. Christ came exposing the darkness of man, exposing my darkness, exposing your darkness, exposing the work of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. John says to overcome the kingdom of darkness in the hearts and the lives of people. That's what God is about doing here but he doesn't do it by keeping people in the darkness. He comes to call people out of darkness. And this is the message of the gospel. Good news. You can escape the wrath of God. You can come out of darkness and be changed. God is willing to do that from his glorious, holy throne. And he's made a way. Jesus came proclaiming light. What does that mean? The truth about God, the truth about his kingdom, the truth about his love, his righteousness, his mercy, his grace, his ways, his wrath, his judgment, all those things and more all wrapped up in this idea of the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus will spend and we'll get into the parables. He, he'll start, he's trying to explain what this kingdom of light is about. He goes, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like a farmer. It's not a farmer and it's not a field. It's like that. And he starts explaining something that is totally foreign to us in a way that we understand. So we understand spiritual things in a physical way. And this is what he's doing. He's explaining and proclaiming, he's shining light. And as we see God's way and his standard and, and who he is, and we, we see the darkness within our own hearts, don't we? We see how we do things. That's the idea there. 
in the response that God commands when his light shines, when he speaks, the, God, the, the, the response that God is, is commanded all of mankind to do is to his kingdom, to his son. It's to repent. That's to turn from sin and turn to him, to turn to Jesus, to believe what God says about our condition and to let belief be manifested, not only by saying you agree, but by living out that agreement. And that's a work of God in a person, by the way. Amen. I can't do that in my own strength, but nevertheless, God calls us to respond in faith. So the response of mankind to light is either I've, I've talked about this before. You're either going to be like a, a moth or you're going to, they're going to be like a cockroach when God calls you to repent, when he shines his light in your life, a moth goes towards the light and loses his life. And actually in Christ, we find it a cockroach. When the light gets turned on, what happened? See ya. And we stay in darkness. We stay in sin. We stay right. We remain a cockroach. Now I wanted to have an analogy about turning into a butterfly, but the thing dies. Okay. So uh, <laughs> we lose our life, but in, in, Jesus, anyways, I'll get to that later. I'll explain that. We'll edit that out. But Jesus came to all man. Jesus Christ came to all mankind. He came to call us out of darkness into his light, into his kingdom by responding, believing upon Jesus with your heart, followed by your actions. And by the way, this is the same message that John the Baptist preached. Jesus isn't preaching something that God hasn't been saying all along to us. John the Baptist, the first thing he does when he comes on the scene, look at Matthew uh, in Matthew 3, 2, he was calling the nation to repent and ready their hearts. And, and Luke gives us another account. Luke 3, 7 through 14. Flip over there. Luke 3. We're in the Gospels here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke 3, 7 through 14. John is preaching to the masses and he's calling them to repent. He's calling the nation to repent. He's calling them to turn from darkness and turn to God. Ready your heart to believe what God says about their condition. And respond by a change in what they are doing. Come to the light, so to speak. In beginning in verse 7 of Luke 3, John the Baptist says, He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? It's a very popular message. <laughs> you brood of vipers. Like, I don't know. What does he say? He said, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Verse eight, bear fruits in keeping with what? With repentance. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. The imagery here is John is calling them children of vipers. That's your heritage. That's what's in your veins. This is what your brood of vipers, your, your bunch of products of, of viperous people. How many of you play with snakes? I mean, if you do, don't like venomous snakes. Let's stop that. No, they're dangerous. They're poisonous. They produce poison and they bite and they kill. I mean, this is, that's kind of what they are. Okay. I know some of you are like, you don't understand their beauty. It's like, okay, go swim with sharks. Um, <laughs> but the image here is that John's calling children vipers. Vipers are venomous. They're snakes. And this is a harsh imagery. Listen, who wants to be told they're like a snake, a venomous snake? That is not, that is like totally against my ego. I'm hurt, God. I don't like what you said about me. Therefore, I'm not going to believe in you anymore. Goodbye. This is the, this is how God views the state of man, venomous snakes, especially their leadership. We see that that's direct. We don't want to think that about ourselves. So God loves us to redeem us. And yet at the same time, he's not redeeming the snake part. He doesn't want to keep the, like, hey, stay a snake, please. By all means. It says you brood of vipers. That's pretty nasty there. We have to understand how God views our sin, how God views our rebellion towards him. We're not naturally children of light. We're the offspring of vipers, poisonous, producing that in our nature that's the condition we are in. We've all been bitten by sin and we bite each other. That's what we do. That's who we are. Now we all, we try to cover it, cover it over because we've got great qualities about us and all the people in darkness talking about how dark, dark darkness, you know, people of the darkness are, are wonderful. 
Well, the light has a different opinion. The light has a different opinion. And what John says to them is that if you're really repenting, if you're really coming out to be baptized, if you're really responding to the conviction that the light is bringing upon your heart, then stop acting like vipers. Let it be shown in how you live. That's responding. This is God working in the hearts of men to change us. Then change what you're doing. Let it be shown by how you live. And by the way, this is the work of the Holy Spirit today. Jesus was on the earth manifesting that. And when he went up, the Holy Spirit came down and the spirit is in the church and the spirit's about the world. And he's convicting people of sin of righteousness and the judgment and judgment to come. This is John 16, eight. This is what the Holy Spirit's doing right now. He convicts us of our sin. You know, you're in it. I know I'm in it. He convicts us. How many of you like to be convicted of wrongdoing? He convicts us of our sin and of the righteousness of God, of how holy he is. Our lowness in his light, in his highness, right? And of the judgment to come, what's going to re- what God, the righteous God is going to require from us who fall short of his glory. This is what the Holy spirit does. We need to not muddy the waters of this. Let it be where it is. Let him, his righteousness shine like the new day, noonday sun and let our darkness be exposed the way it is. Because what God then does through his Holy spirit is he doesn't just shine is he's calling us to himself. He's calling us to repentance. He's calling us. It's actually a mechanism of God's grace to us. It's powerful. He convicts us to bring us to him. That he might change us. This is what John is speaking about. Man, you've been acting like snakes and you say you believe in God. Let it be lived out in your life. Is God really working in your heart? Faith without works is dead. Amen. Amen. Not saved by works, but it is the proof that we are saved. There's something that changes in a heart. No excuses, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't produce poison, produce what God desires. And obviously God is doing this in us. And, and he goes on and says, and do not begin to say to yourselves, Hey, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God uh, is able to, uh, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Hey, listen, I go to CCF. I've been to church. I've, I get a tithe. I got, you know, I've done this. I've done that. God says, what? I, I'm not impressed with your self-righteousness. I'm not impressed with any of it. No excuses. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is judgment. God's light shines. I don't produce good fruit. What do I do? And this is exactly what happens as we're going to read Matthew 5, 3. He's not looking for your resume. He's looking for brokenness. When his light shines in the heart of a human being and we see how dark we are. And compared to his light, listen, it's Matthew 5, 3. And this is where we're going. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That is the proper response. You're right, God. I'm bankrupt. Everything you say about me, right? I'm a, I've been a snake towards you. I'm venomous. I'm poisonous. Lord, change me. Have mercy. That's the response he's looking for. Because guess what God wants to do? He wants to turn snakes into sons and daughters. He wants to pull you out because he loves you. That's the hard thing to imagine. But true repentance is shown in changed hearts that bear fruit and changed actions. Verse 10, the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? If God's wrath is coming, if the ax is ready to cut us down, we're not bearing good fruit. What do we do? That's the right response. That's the conviction of the Holy spirit on a people. What do I do? Great place. So glad you asked. John says verse 11. And he answered them. Whoever has two tunics. They have two hats is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized to him and said, teacher, what shall we do? Tax collectors, not the greatest people in that society. Extorting people from their money. All those things you can fill in the gaps. Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Didn't say quit your job. He says, don't abuse your authority. 
Collect your taxes on behalf of the government. Don't take more than you should. And soldiers came to him, people with power and authority. What did he say to them? They said, what shall we do? Don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. Wow. This is what repentance looks like in the lives of the people. Isn't that crazy? And so you can see that repentance, which is brought about by the spirit is in a, in a person's heart. It produces a godly change. Look at Paul does the same thing. Flip over to Ephesians chapter four. Another great example of what repentance looks like in the life that responds to Christ. Listen, if we don't get this right, we're doomed. <laughs> we can play church all day long, but God is concerned with our hearts as a people And the message we preach flows from this. It's, it's no mistake that the first thing we're reading from Jesus here is repent. This is where it starts. Light is shining. Respond accordingly. Paul does it. He, Paul lays this out. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Big chunk of scripture. Going to read it. Verse 17 begins. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Futility of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. Listen, they're darkened. They're alienated from the life of God. Their heart, they have a hard heart towards God. They're calloused. This is a non-believer. This is someone who has not responded to the light. Okay. And Paul is describing people are walking in darkness before they, before Christ shines in their life. Everybody in this can relate to this at one point in their life. Now what happens in verse 20, he says, but that's not what you have learned. He's talking to the church, to those who are called out, those who have, have responded. He says, but that's not what you've learned. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self and to put, uh, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of the true righteousness and holiness. Listen, repentance is putting off the old man and putting on Christ. This is something God works out in and through us. So repentance is spelled out there, put off this old life led by sin and put on the new spirit. This is a work of God in our life, a work of grace. Now live righteously, live holy in your thinking and in your actions. Verse 25, therefore having put away falsehood, he gets into practical things. Now, Therefore, having put away falsehood, what are the things that we need to put away church? Well, he lays it out. Notice that Paul is calling believers to repentance. When it says bear fruit worthy of repentance, it isn't like a one time bear fruit. It's continually bear fruit in your life that shows what kind of tree you are. Make sense. So we're always going to need to repent until we see Jesus. Just, you know, be in relationship with someone and you find out. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. So here's an example. Stop lying. Start speaking truth. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no one opportunity to the devil. In our old life, anger was away. We let it have a root. Bitterness would well up, but that's not the way of the new life. Notice this doesn't say don't be angry. Man, you cannot live in an unrighteous world. Anger is a good response. It is a righteous response to sin. But don't let that anger become sin. It says, don't let it turn into sin. Don't let bitterness come into your heart. Don't let anger rule you. Don't let what happened to Cain happen in your heart. Don't give an opportunity, devil. So, he goes on verse 28, just real quickly. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with one another need repentance. How many of you were thieves before you came to the Lord, stole stuff, lied about stuff, cheated people out of stuff. Well, what has God called you to do? Does he call you to stop lying and cheating people? The answer is 
Yes. But is that where it stops? No, you, you have to actually continue on. You have to live righteously. This is what he's calling us to. So now I get a job. Why do I get a job? So I can give. I once was a taker, but now I'm a giver. See how that works. I once was a truth, a liar, but now I'm a truth speaker. Does that make sense? You're changed. Repentance isn't just stop. It's start. Verse 29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for the building up as, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, stop cutting people down, stop having corruptive devo- uh, uh, words that come out of your mouth. This is ungodly, unfitting Lord help. Amen. What are our words to be used for in the right moment to build others up? Now, some of you are going right now as I am, cause I've struggled with this. Anybody else? light shines. Are you going to be a moth or a cockroach? Anyone? If we're in the light, we confess and Jesus, the blood of Christ cleanses us of all sin. We confess our faults to one another and we walk in righteousness. This is, this is beautiful in the Lord. Amen. This is how we're changed into his image. We go, yeah, that's right. And this is who I've been. And gosh, Lord, forgive me. Change me. God. Amen. And the Lord does that work. And we get to see that in one another. And God is glorified. Amen. Because we know that's not us. Anyways. The old man tears people down with words. The new man builds people up. Edifying. This does not mean we don't speak the truth in love. Don't mistake those things. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We once lived grieving the Holy Spirit. That's how we live. But how do we live now? We live in harmony with the spirit. Keep in step with the spirit. You know, the spirit's in you and he's talking to you about how you're living or what you're saying or what you're, how you're acting out or motives you have and all that stuff. You sense it, don't you? Yeah. That's the spirit of Christ in you going, Hey, you're out of alignment. Well, God, you just need to change because this person, no, 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 no. <laughs> Stay in harmony with me. Don't grieve me. I'm with you. I'm, I'm a mechanism of God's grace in your life. I'm a sanctifying force. I'm, I am God in you spirit in the life of a believer, the down payment until we see him face to face. God has not left us as orphans. Amen. And he teaches us if we let him don't grieve him. He's not going away. Harmonize with him. Verse 31, well, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you all along with all malice. And so, well, what should we do instead, Paul? Well, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgive one another as God and Christ forgave you. You know, Jesus became preaching repent. How many of you, as you're going to, as we've gone down these lists, and obviously I'm kind of just jumping through it. We're going, wow, I have room to repent. Anyone else? Yes. Repent. Repent, Matt, repent. I am not perfect. I, I, you know, I am a work in progress. I need God's grace in my life. Anyone else repent. That's no excuse. Repent. The light shines. We're in this together in the real. We're in this together. Repent. Amen. Amen. What a believer is, is one who's responded to the light. We've responded. We haven't just uttered a prayer. We've believed upon Christ. We believe that he died for the wicked things that I I am. And I've done died on a cross to satisfy the wrath of God on my behalf. But not only that he died, but that he rose again, that we would walk in newness of life. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's now Christ who lives in me. And I walk by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We walk by faith. We walk in obedience to our Lord. Now the church are the ones who are called out. The ones who have received the grace, and the mercy of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who have repented and, and who are called now to bear fruit worthy of repentance. And so it starts with us. 
as we're looking out and pointing at our fingers at the world around us of everything that's going on. What about us? Amen. Cause if you read Romans one and we go down that road and we start pointing out about all the perversion that's going on around us. And it is just go to chapter two. Oh, you who know the law. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and you practice X, Y, and Z. And he has words for us. Ah, oh, Lord help repent, right? Amen. Take the plank out of your own eyes so that you might help someone else first. Some of my favorite verses in closing here, first Corinthians six, nine through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who do not repent. What does that look like? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What you want to know why uh, this is one of my favorite sections of scripture. Just keep reading. And such were some of you guilty. <laughs> Amen but you were washed. You were sanctified and you were justified. This is what a believer is, man. God washed you with the blood of his son. He paid that price for that sin. He sanctified you. He changed you and is changing you. And you were justified. You were made right. You were made just as if you'd never sinned in the presence of a holy God. That's what justified means. He didn't just take it away. He did the opposite. He made you right before him. He didn't stop with just taking away your sin. He gave you his righteousness. That's the whole thing he's talking about here. Don't just stop. Do. You were washed. You were justified in the name of, of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Another favorite verse, first Peter two, eight through 10, really verse nine, but eight through 10 says they stumbled eight through 10. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. It's talking about old Testament examples. People who disobeyed God. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll repent. You'll do what I say. That's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever obedience and disobedience. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to. But you (laughs) are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called you out of darkness. He came into your darkness. He shined his light and he called you out by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You know that everybody's looking for belonging and all these identities and all this stuff. This is the identity we need. You weren't a people, but now you are. How is that? Man, you're God's kid. You're part of that kingdom, the eternal kingdom, the kingdom that calls all to come, but it comes through repentance and it comes through faith in his son. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has had mercy on us church, such marvelous mercy. This is the heart of God. The call to repent is God's grace extended to the world. Let's not forget that. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Amen. Don't be ashamed of God's call for darkness to turn to the light. Don't muddy the waters by how you live (laughs) or by compromise. The light dawned upon Galilee and Jesus will spend much of his ministry there as we will see. And some will repent and respond, but many and most won't. But now the Holy spirit is at work in the world, calling people to repent, to respond to the grace and mercy of God, whose only son, Jesus Christ died for our sins that the wrath of God would be subsided against you and against me. And he rose again to give us new life. That's the gospel. Good news. And God's drawing people from every tongue, 
every tribe, every generation, any place you can think of on earth, any people group you can think of on earth. God is calling people out to himself. Amen. So, and we as the church, here's the thing. Last word is you who have been called out, who have repented and who are repenting (laughs) as God shows you what's going on. You have been called by him as his light to the world. He is the big light. We are the reflection of his light. Now he takes the ones that he's redeemed and says, now you go shine. You go shine. You go speak of my son. You go reflect my son and how you live and how you act and how you interact and what you do and do not do. And all these types of things, you glorify God in the midst of a darkness. Amen. That's what the church is. We're the called out ones. We're the light of the world reflecting his light. That's a work of God's grace. Totally a work of God's grace. Amen. So uh, it's a joy to be, you know, ministering in the word of, you know, with you in Christ, at Christ community fellowship. But I just want to say that may, may we bear fruit in keeping with repentance as a fellowship. Amen. Don't, push that off. Don't harden your hearts. Don't become callous to the spirit of God as we all can do, especially in these times, remain sensitive to him, love one another deeply from the heart, forgive one another. And let's see what God does together. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your word. And uh, I just, may your command be our heart's desire. May we not, just be a people who mouth the words, but who live your precepts. Forgive us, God. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Establish yourself as Lord of this fellowship, Lord, Lord of our hearts. And lead us for your great namesake. That the name of Jesus Christ would be honored and revered in us, Lord, personally, whenever we meet, whenever we gather, and wherever we might go, that your name would be lifted high. And so we, we love you and we ask for this work to be done in us, which we know is your desire. Be glorified now in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Amen.